The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Prices start at $9 per month. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. This podcast episode was recorded on Tuesday, July 5th and released to premium subscribers that same day. That's right. Premium subscribers get the podcast without any ads or announcements the same day or sometimes a day or two after it is recorded. They get a host of other benefits as well including a transcript that they can read if they prefer, and, of course, the Daily Contrarian briefing and podcast, which arrives in their inboxes every market day morning at 7 a.m. or earlier. And this is a forward-looking view of the events, data releases, earnings, and other items that are likely to affect markets in the day ahead. It aims to be completely forward-looking and not bore you with any kind of reviews of things that you already know. So to take advantage of this, sign up at the website contrarianpod.substack.com. It's no longer $9 a month. It's a little more. It's $10 a month if you sign up for the full year. Otherwise, it's about 11 or 12 But please do take advantage of that. Look forward to speaking to you every day on there. Now let's proceed with this week's podcast. Here you go. Mark Chandler, Chief Market Strategist at Bannock Burn Global FX. We are talking about the economy. It is a precarious time for the economy. The yield curve just inverted as we record this on Tuesday afternoon, July 5th. And there are a number of very important data releases coming up. And this is why I wanted to have Mark on the show to talk us through these and to preview them because these are telling. And we have job reports coming up. Uh, Obviously on Thursday is uh, the weekly uh, initial jobless claims. And then Friday, the non-farm payrolls report. And this is something that has uh, people have been able to point to as one pillar of the economy that is still holding up, at least in the surface. But you have some other views on that. And then we have the CPI, the major inflation reading next week. So there's a whole bunch going on here 
the Fed tightening, and the market's basically worried now about a recession. And uh, so risk assets have been taking it on, on the chin here lately. But so Mark is a good person to speak to all this. So Mark, talk me through this. Where do you see the economy right now? So I see the economy uh, slowing sharply. And I see that, uh, that the economy, I don't think we're in a recession yet. Uh, but I think that uh, it's going to be hard to avoid one. And I would be pinpointing late this year, but probably not until early next year, that it becomes more evident. And so I think that you're right that, the, you know, the, when we listen to what Powell says and why he justified the 75 basis point rate hike, he says that partly the, the labor market is very strong. And of course, you know, we're going to get this jolts data, which tells us, you know, how right. many people are leaving the workforce and quitting their jobs. And, and those kind of numbers still show, uh, as Powell has quoted several times, like there's like two jobs for every person who's who's looking. And uh, so we get a sense then that how strong the labor market is. But I think that there's some cracks appearing. And these cracks are like uh, are big enough and lasting long enough to warrant our attention. Okay. The first is the weekly jobless claims itself. You mentioned that's going to be coming out Thursday. And so here's what happens, right? These are people who are collecting unemployment benefits for the first time. And these numbers bottomed. So, so people like me will use a four-week moving average because this is a weekly number. It gets kind of noisy with holidays and sometimes, you know, one state or another. So you use a four-week move, four moving average to smooth it out. That four-week moving average bottomed in, in uh, late April. And we are up over 30% off the lows. Now, now, in the past, when jobless claims, and remember what we really want to see now, it's not so much the level, but it's the direction things are moving that really is important. And so the levels are still relatively low, but the movement is such that in the past, recessions have often been preceded. That's why weekly jobless claims are a leading indicator. Mm. The, these recessions have been often uh, preceded by around a 50% increase off the lows. So when jo weekly jobless claims, they bottom, we are growing very quickly, then they begin rising as the economy slows. When they rise from about 50% off their floor, that has pre pre like presaged a recession. We're only about 30% or so now, but it's something to be watching because it is why I don't think we're in a recession quite yet, but we're headed that way. 30% off the lows, watch this number, use a four week moving average to smooth out some of that noise. Right. Okay. And the it's interesting you don't think so you don't think that we'll actually have a recession until late this year, early next. Is that right? Yeah. So it really so part of it is really how you define a recession. Yeah. And you know, I know I'm I'm you know, for a lot of investors, uh they, they think about that old rule of thumb that we learned in Econ 101, right. two successive quarters of negative growth. But that is not really a good definition. And the reason I say it's not a good definition, because We've had the recession in the early 90s, and we had the, the recession of the pandemic. It didn't last two quarters. Mm. And so I would suggest that the this is a nice rule of thumb when you're at a cocktail party conversation. But when you're trying to like uh, try to assess these kinds of things from an investor's point of view, I would think that you'd want a more robust definition. And keep in mind that the real definition is announced by the NBER often months after the fact. And so we really won't know. And I'm not so sure that whether we're in a recession or not, the key issue here. The key mm. issue, I think, is that the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates while the economy seems to be slowing. And for me, it's not just that the Fed's raising interest rates, but that and it's not just raising interest rates, but it's shrinking its balance sheet. But right. that's not it. We are having a fiscal contraction 
that is of historic proportions. Last year, we had a budget deficit of about 10.3% of GDP. This year, it's gonna be about half of that. We haven't had like such a big drop in the fiscal spending because when, of course, of course, when some people hear fiscal spending, they're thinking of government and these handouts and these free lunches. When, it, when you really think about uh, government spending, think about income. When the government is paying out, in, when they're making these transfer payments, they're spending money, they're giving money to other people who will spend it. This is, a, this is tantamount to a big loss of income for the U.S. economy. And hmm. not only that, it's not only monetary tightening, fiscal tightening, but you also have this other pattern that I watch. Oil prices have doubled before we've entered the last three recessions. Oil prices have doubled now, say since the uh, since August or so. So, and then the other factor for me uh, is a sort of a telltale telltale sign of very late cycle behavior. Hmm. So, what happens? Why are we? Why you know we still are consuming, and how do how do we fund this consumption? Well, partly because we create a lot of jobs. But that's not really the, that, that helps on the margins. But I'll tell you what Americans are doing right now. They are borrowing from the past by going into savings, by taking when the people are refinancing their homes, they're taking equity out. They're monetizing that home appreciation. That's borrowing from the past. And the other things, and we're going to get this number uh, this coming Friday to consumer credit. It's a big lag time, but we get the uh, uh, we we get the uh, May data this week. And the, just to put this in perspective, in April and uh, March and April, Americans spent a record amount on, cons- on credit cards. And so, so this to me is like, you know, when you can't support the consumption because prices have been inflated, that people are borrowing from their homes, drawing down savings, and borrowing from the future in the t- forms of credit cards. And so all these things point to me to like an inescapable conclusion that the economy is slowing down very rapidly. And that the Federal Reserve wanted to slow down, so they're going to continue to tighten policy. All right, I'm looking here on the on the jobless claims front, initial jobless claims. They're expecting another 230 thousand for this this week, which is also on Thursday. Um, I may have mentioned it was tomorrow, or maybe I said the uh, ADP. It looks like these are all on Thursday, but and these have been. I mean, even the four week average is around right around 230 thousand. So. It, it, it's been stabilized. So what happened yeah. basically was we saw some deterioration and the last few weeks they've been stabilizing, but it's kind of hard to know because of some holidays, okay. uh, Juneteenth. Uh, uh, you've got some other More things that, that yeah. might have skewed it a little bit, but so we want, that's why we use the forward moving average to try to pick up some of that noise. So, but to your point, things deteriorated and now they stabilize a little bit. Okay. So what kind of a number are you looking for? Are you expecting this to, to come up uh, to be higher than 230? Well, so for me, it's really the, the direction of the trend. Uh-huh. And I think the labor market is deteriorating. And we see this in some of the places in which we saw the big growth, like the hospitality sector. So what I'm looking at, really, I've been looking more at the, at the monthly non-farm payroll number and seeing what sectors are gaining jobs, losing jobs, and what this means for hourly earnings. Mm. Okay, cool. Yeah, so let's talk about that then, the, the non-farm payrolls on Friday. Um, yeah, what kind of stuff are you, are, you, are you looking at there? And we've had some unemployment now headlines hitting the uh, the news cycle these last couple of weeks with crypto firms and tech shops and also some mortgage companies laying people off. So I'm wondering what, what that will, will look like. Yeah, so I think that this is, this is part of the problem. This is why like, uh, 
Uh, we see uh, airplane accidents in the newspaper. We don't see car accidents. Right. The, the companies, the, the media, for whatever reason, uh, doesn't typically pick up employers hiring. Hiring, They pick up the layoffs. You got to remember what this non-farm payroll number is. It's not just at 200, like this time, I think the consensus is around 275,000 or so. It's not just that 275,000 people found jobs. What, what, what that number re- represents is the net change in jobs. Mm. Millions of people got jobs. Millions of people lost jobs. Mm. This is a residual number. Mm. And, and when you think about like how important is it? Because, of course, the actual number hardly ever comes out where economists expect it to. Of course. And so how much does it need to deviate in order to be like statistically significant? Uh, an old Federal Reserve paper found that it was about 100,000. Okay. So uh, we get, uh, so, but the point I would broadly make is that the number of jobs creating is slowing down. Now, 275,000 is still a solid number, but it just shows the direction. You want to look at that to like a three-month moving average or a six-month average, and you'll see it's one of the lowest numbers that we would have had post-pandemic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is just part of what's happening, right, is that we, we come out of the pandemic and uh, we have a boom. And then things begin cooling off. And it's a question of how fast things are cooling off and sort of the magnitude of that. Mm, right. And now, of course, in, into this, as we've said, the Fed is raising rates. They did a uh, 75 basis point rate hike at the last meeting. And it looks like futures are pricing in another 75 yeah. this coming meeting this month. Uh, how long before this starts to have any kind of meaningful impact on inflation? Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, Powell admits, too, that the sources of inflation are not things that are, are basically coming from supply side of the equation. And the Federal Reserve, through interest rates and monetary policy, can only really influence the demand side of the equation. Right. But I would say this, that that the Federal Reserve, and Powell was pretty clear on this, I thought, at the last press conference. Why? So what's the relationship between the headline rate and the core rate? And the Federal Reserve... Powell says, and I think that my own work who could like uh, lend credence to that argument or support to that argument, that the reason that the Federal Reserve would look at the core rate is not that they exclude volatile ingredients like food and energy. It's not that they exclude food and energy because they have no control over them. They exclude them for a very practical reason. And that is that over time, the headline rate goes to the core rate, not the core rate going to the headline rate. So the Federal Reserve targets the headline rate, but he, but as Powell said, the signal, the key signal is coming from the core rate. And that's what I'd like to, like to suggest to you is that the headline rate looks like it's going to accelerate still. Right. You get that CPI number. Uh, I mean, look, out of the last uh, like three months, give me this, you know, give me the June read of where the consensus has it, about 1.1%. And that means three out of the past four months, we've had 1% or higher CPI month over month. Mm. But I want to say is that it's increasingly, even though a lot of people talk about how it's broadening out, increasingly, food and energy are the driver. And I say that because if, if things go as economists expect, the rough direction is that hourly earnings, when we get that employment number on Friday, would have fallen for the third consecutive month. The core CPI is likely to fall for the third month as well. And so this is beginning to shape up as if, yes, we have a problem with headline inflation, but the core inflation, which is a better predictor of where inflation is going, is already rolling over. Hourly wages are slowing as well. Now, they're still elevated, but the key is the direction. 
the direction mm. is turning. And how we invest in that, I think it's sort of like the question we used to always say is that the, uh, how does one respond to the first hike in a cycle versus the last hike in a cycle? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing I think for us as investors, we have to think about not just where, uh, we're go- where, where we are, but sort of the direction things are headed. Mm-hmm. And I think that this suggests that the labor market's weakening and prices have begun that process of stabilizing and turning lower in that core measure. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host and access to private channels on our Discord server. They also get generous discounts to our virtual conferences and other services. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. That's contrarian.supercast.tech. By the way, you don't actually need the .tech suffix. .com suffices as well. Or you could, of course, go to the Substack contrarianpod.substack.com and sign up there. If you already have a Substack account, that is probably the preferred way to go. Both of these allow for seamless integration with Spotify and any other podcast software. So it's really worth it. That's, of course, a completely unbiased view. The prices have gone up a bit because inflation is not transitory. So you should sign up now because they may go up more uh, but you can still get it for ten dollars a month if you sign up for the full year so do that at contrarianpod.substack.com or contrarian.supercast.com look forward to speaking to you every morning with the daily contrarian show now back to this week's podcast and that would then mean that the fed doesn't have to raise all that much more all that much longer right well that's, that's part of the trick now, yeah. is that the Federal Reserve does not want to get bitten by that same dog twice. Right. Right. Everybody, everybody, I want to say, their mother accused them of being behind the curve. Right. So the biggest mistake the Fed could make is by saying, once again, inflation is mm. transitory or declare victory too early. So what the market anticipates is that the Federal Reserve, right now, the Fed funds target, call it 175. The Fed will double that this year. Another 175 basis points with, as you mentioned, 75 basis points largely discounted for this month's meeting. So 100 basis points between the end of July, say early August, and the end of the year. Four uh, four meetings, uh, and that's 100 basis points, the market pricing in. But I think the real real important thing that happened, and it's just happening, I want to say, in the last few days, in about a week or so, is that the market now is saying, Right, we've, well, we've said for a while, right? The Fed is going to tighten until something breaks. Right. The market is saying that something's going to break. When? Right now, the market has 25 basis points of a cut priced into Q3 Fed funds next year. Not this year. They think the Fed's going to continue to raise rates. They're going to break something. It's going to lead them to cut rates, 25 basis points, Q3 next year, and another one in Q4 next year. That's already priced into the Fed funds futures. That's a pretty far outlook, though. I mean, what can happen in a year and change? I mean, 
right? <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're right, and, and and it's true. I think not only are is this stuff uh, and this stuff the Federal Reserve, the market, we're all fickle. We mm-hmm. all can change quickly, and the pendulum of market sentiment swings very dramatically. Right. This is where the market said, I think it's important that up until now, the markets thought that the Fed's going to be able to achieve its target, uh, achieve what say what some of the dot plots suggested, 4% peak in Fed funds. But if you think that Fed funds are going to peak around 3.5%, what does that mean for how you want to price in a longer-term asset like a 10-year bond or even stocks? If you thought, Fed, if you thought overnight rates were going to go to 4% or higher to, for the Fed to, to, to get control of inflation, it would make me more bearish bonds mm. and stocks. The fact yeah. that the Federal Reserve, I mean, will not raise rates as much as they thought previously, and that's what the market's thinking, I think is a, uh, I mean, of course, the reason they're not going to be raising rates is that the, is that we're worried about a recession, which mm-hmm. isn't good for risk assets in the first place. Right. But that interest rate, I think, is a real tell of what's going to happen. Yeah. And if you look at the bond market too, it's kind of interesting what's been going on there over the last week where you've seen yields come in. So prices have gone up. Uh, yeah. I think it's over the last week or so. It was well north of 3%. Now it's 2.8. And, and also the inversion that I mentioned at the outset. So that would seem to be, I mean, not, not to put anything in words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying that maybe people are a bit early with these bond purchases. Well, I don't know about, I, I think that the long end is one thing. I mean, right. I think that if I thought that Fed funds were going to peak at three and a quarter, three and a half, a, a, a bond yield, a 10-year yield above 3% seems attractive to me. Uh-huh. Uh, on the other hand, uh, if you think that Fed funds are going to go to three and a half percent, maybe it's the two-year that looks uh, that looks a bit rich. Uh, but I, I think you're right, too, that, you know, when you think about this bond market rally, what's happened is it, so one of the things we look at are the break-even. So what happens is, right, the federal, the government sells these inflation-linked securities. We look at their yield, we subtract the conventional yield against it Infla- as to, to get what is inflation expectation. So a market-based view as opposed to, say, a survey. And this market-based view is also collapsed. Mm. That is, inflation expectations are also falling. And partly, alongside those uh, lower bond yields, you know, we've got oil today below $100 a barrel. Oh, wow. I missed that. Yeah. So, okay, so then that would all speak to inflation that is coming in, but... Um, some elevated mm-hmm. levels. Right, right, right. Interesting. But then but then, wouldn't, wouldn't there be, I mean, if the problem, the headline inflation, if that comes in high, I mean, there's still going to be a, a reaction to that, like, if, especially if it goes up again, yep. after we've all said it was peaking. Yep, no, I, I, it's true. And it's like, uh, what, what you say, is, I think, is very important. And that is that we, we have to be prepared that inflation has not, probably has not peaked yet. The headline inflation is going to, could still go up. I mean, uh, I mean, think about what it's picking up. I mean, in the in the month of June, we did have higher gasoline prices, higher food prices. I know that my cost of living has gone up quite mm-hmm. a bit, and so uh, yeah, so we we should expect that. What I'm just suggesting is that um, it's sort of like uh, what we have to do as investors. This is what one of the things I really I really have a lot of respect for about the markets is that it's not just a contemporaneous indicator of what's going on, but we're anticipating things. It's a great anticipatory mechanism, whether we're anticipating earnings, economic data, the trajectory of the economy, Fed policy. It's not that we always get it right, but it's really a probabilistic game. You say, when these when, when these things happen, weekly initial jobless claims rise 50% off their lows. When the unemployment rate goes up, say, uh, half a percent uh, over a three-month period or something, uh, 
when you have uh, uh, weakening consumption, say, well, when these things line up, it, it spells trouble for the economy. And and I I think that's what we're, that's what I'm really suggesting to you. It's not going to happen. It's not today. It's not like looking out the window and saying, hey, it's sunny outside. What I've really been comparing this to, and I probably stole this from somebody else along the way, is that a uh, if the person has jumped off a skyscraper, and the, and uh, we're looking out the window at the 35th floor, and we say, hey, that, that dude's still alive. Mm. And uh, but everything's not okay. Mm. And that's what I'm really suggesting is that uh, besides the you know you're right, the headlines are going to come out, going to show a uh, CPI is accelerated once again. I think that right, we, we have to take that, we have to respond to that and respect the price action. Mm. On the other hand, below the surface, like a subtext of a movie, what is really going on? I'm saying what's really going on is it's right below the surface and be careful. Mm. How bad do things get here? Um, I mean, do you think this recession, it's, it, if and when we have one, it sounds like when, is going to be a bad one, like 08? God help us, or um, is it going to be more mild, like uh, I guess '02 or the early '90s? Yeah, so I think that you know the the uh, the great financial crisis was a uh, uh, hopefully it's a once in a generation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we I mean, it seems to me that what one thing that's going to be different about this is this seems to be a typical business, more of a typical business cycle than a financial crisis that's causing the right. business cycle to turn. Mm-hmm. So the turn of the business cycle could cause some economic stress on businesses, uh, ratings, uh, failures. Um, like you say, I mean, some of these, what's going on in some of the uh, crypto tech space uh, cause of concern. But the, the, I, so I would suspect this is going to be more of a garden variety uh, end of a business downturn with excessive inventories that have to be worn off. Uh, and of course, compounded by uh, the pressure from the Federal Reserve uh, not to get it wrong again. Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. What does an investor do here? Because usually the typical playbook is to go into fixed income, which, you know, you have the, usually around this time you would have the Fed loosening. But now obviously the Fed is still tightening. Nobody knows exactly how much longer, including the Fed, um, which makes fixed income maybe not the best um idea again tell that to the bond market uh, but and stocks who knows or i mean they're all all over the place i mean okay you can maybe make the case for staples and commodities maybe i don't know but what do you what would you say there to that question yeah so i have uh, two ideas for you okay good one of them it sounds kind of like uh i don't know i could i could see people's eyes rolling because i know when i mentioned this to people at parties and things they just like how boring but I'll tell you that sometimes a boring investment might be a good idea in times when, when it's sort of like as the old uh, stand-up comic said once, is that the return of your money is more important than the return on your money. And I think this capital preservation is important. Mm-hmm. What I like, and one of the few things I've bought this year for myself, is an I-bond. Now, you look up on the internet, you can Google this. What it is, is an inflation-linked bond that the Treasury sells to retail investors. Because the inflation-linked bond, is, you get a very low yield, but you get the inflation premium. Right now, that bond from the U.S. government pays over 9%. Take a look. You buy it from the Treasury directly, an iDirect, an inflation-linked bond uh, available to retail. There's some tricks to it, though. For example, you can only, as retail investors, you can only put $10,000 per Social Security number. So my okay. wife and I have one. 
right? And so $10,000 limited per person per social security number, and but you get an incredible return, more than 9% from the U.S. government. Is that tax-free? Uh, partly tax-free because it's the federal government. Yeah. Uh, but also, in addition to that, of course, there's a, there's a uh, I'd say, uh, take a look at it. There's a minor penalty if you sell it early. Uh, but in general, I think a risk as as risk free of an investment as one can think of. I think a bond that the government is underwriting the inflation for you, giving you nine a little bit more than nine percent annualized rate. It gets reset every six months, and this was just reset in May, so you can still get access to it for the next four months at nine percent, more than nine percent. What's the maturity? How long do you have to hold it? I I I, I forget the exact amount of. It's, but it's essentially a 15-year bond. Okay. And if you sell it, uh, if you sell it like early, you basically lose the last quarter of interest. So last it is quarter fairly of... liquid. Okay. It's fairly liquid, but you do get that penalty for early uh, liquidation. But when you really think about it, getting that, I mean, imagine what could happen in uh, two or three years from now. Inflation's back down two, two and a half percent. Your yield on that's fallen, and you give up a smaller yield to, to liquidate to buy to buy your stock or to buy that crypto again or whatever whatever it is you whatever it is you're avoiding. Mm. So I, I like that, and I'll tell you the other thing I like that it's, it's on the other end of the uh, risk spectrum, and I think that uh, China has taken a uh, big strides to reopen, and of course they still have the zero COVID policy, but I can tell you that the stock market has been uh, last month was one of the better performers mm. after being terribly beaten up. So essentially what I, I put it like this in the story would be uh, foreigners uh, bailed out of Chinese bonds and stocks in the first part of the year. China was in a horrible lockdown. The economy might have contracted. We'll find this out next week with their GDP report. Their economy could have contracted. But that second quarter stuff, most of it took place in April and May. In June, the economy is recovering. We see this with the recent PMIs. Composites have exploded well back above the 50 expansion. A lot of people don't have these Chinese stocks anymore. Uh, they're going to be they're going to begin in Hong Kong, uh, reopening the IPO market. Uh, and I think that you know China has a a very important uh, Congress uh, the uh, uh, where right. where President Xi is going to get his third term ostensibly. And uh, in order, to, the the perception I think is that they want to really juice up the economy, make sure it's on solid footing for this Congress. And I think I could benefit from it. And that's the only other thing I did this year besides those I-bonds. I bought some uh, a Chinese uh, equity ETF in uh, late May, uh, expecting and you know, anticipating this. And I, I, I've got a decent return, but I still like it. I'm looking to commit more money to it. That is just to say, as a trade idea, not a lifetime marriage, but just uh, buying Chinese stocks that they pulled back and they've been beaten up and they should have the kind of recovery we saw in the U.S. and Europe where you've got a... Uh, after the reopening, just a, a jump in activity. Mm. Is that the FXI or is are the A shares or? Yep, the FXI. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, well, those are some. Yeah, that's really on two opposite sides of the risk spectrum for sure. Mark Chandler, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today and providing these this important um, uh, preview of these economic data as well as these very interesting ideas, which of course are not investment advice. Now, uh, lastly, Mark, where, where can people find out more about you if they want to read your stuff? Sure. So I have a blog called Mark to Market, Mark with mm -hmm. a C. Makes my mom happy. Uh, I write on that almost every day. Uh, and even on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Saturday, I post a macro overview. Sunday is uh, 
my my attempt to be a technician looking at that price action. But every day it's a commentary. I try to make it for, I really write for my employer. It's for really institutional investors. But my uh, I've convinced them that the real source of value in the modern world is not on scarcity. That's sort of fake. Mm. Over scarcity. What makes my out, Microsoft Outlook valuable is I can email anybody in the world. I want my comments to be read by as many people as possible, participate in that discussion of the day. And so uh, my boss is allowing me to uh, post my institutional commentary onto my blog, freely accessible to anybody who wants it. I, a lot of times I'll also use Twitter. I find Twitter is a, uh, I sort of like that as far as like for a boomer, for social media. I like Twitter. It's quick. Uh, of course, my stuff is uh, riddled with typos. But I try to do, a, whenever I post something on my blog, I send out a tweet. And also send out tweets on important price action, like like this afternoon, uh, unbeknownst to many people, the Treasury Secretary, what they call the Chancellor, and the Health Minister of the UK resigned. Mm. And it took a lot of people by surprise. And mm. Sterling had already been beaten up. So I'll send out a tweet about that or when the Fed funds switched to pricing in a cut. Uh, I'll send out tweets to sort of short, uh, short little blurbs about what's going on in the market. Uh, I also then uh, am on LinkedIn and uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, happy to have always looking for collaborators and always looking to chat with people. Cool. Is uh, Bannock Burn, it's not, it's not your company, that's your employer. It's my employer, yes. I uh, tell you the truth, I bought into a partnership there. And Bannock Burn was uh, a couple of years ago, was bought by uh, a bank, First Financial Bank, uh, headquartered in Cincinnati. So oh, sure. I thought I was going to escape working for banks hmm. and they sucked me back in. Ah. Well, there's a uh, Godfather quote about that, isn't there? Cool. <laughs> All right, Mark Mark Chandler. Now, so that's a Mark to Market M A R C two T O Market dot com. Yeah, I've actually read. I read. I read your stuff on Seeking Alpha usually um, because I know it publishes there as well. Yep. And yeah, great resource for for people to check out. It's really a great summary of of what's going on macro wise, and there's a lot of it, like every day, so people can read that. Awesome. Again, thank you so much, Mark, for joining the podcast. Thank you all for listening. And with that, we look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.